We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Immortal Minds. Today, we've got a whole host of guests. We've got, well, one of them is technically a host. We've got Puckett. What's up, Puckett? How are you doing? Yay, bud. I'm excited to join this. we got the TSM boys with us. Yeah, absolutely. We've got, uh, we've got Drone and Taylors. Drone, how are you doing? Hey, what's up, man? How are you? Taylor, yeah, you awake for this? I am, yeah. Very, hey. very awake. I feel super ready to talk. <laughs> um. It's uh, it's interesting, you know. Um, we were talking about you know some of the the topics and uh, you know to talk to go over and and sometimes I take I think I take it for granted that I just know who everybody is. And Bucket again, being the good host that he is, actually uh, put a note into the into the doc is like we should actually probably ask for some more information for people who don't know who you two guys are, uh, Drone and Taylor. It's like, you know, who are you guys behind the scenes? Um, obviously, Drone, you're you know you play for TSM and Taylor, you're a coach, but uh, what are your, you know, can you give us some tidbits about your backgrounds and how you kind of, you know, came to this position as, as being one of the, uh, you know, position to be a great player and a great coach on one of the best Valorant teams? Uh, yeah, no, I was at a professional Counter-Strike player for a couple of years, not tier one, definitely tier two. I played for uh, Splice and Envy. Um, and then I switched to Valorant right as the beta came out because I just felt like it was a change of pace and I really wanted to uh, get away from Counter-Strike. You know, there's some soiled, soiled things there. So, uh, yeah, I just made the swap and it's been pretty good so far yeah counter-strike uh i obviously came from cs2 and 
I coached Drone and I coached Cutler on a team and I coached um, Wardell and Sabroza on Orglis and we could not find an org for the life of us on that team. So switching to Valorant made sense because we all trusted Riot and uh, I knew Drone and Cutler were having a really good time in the beta. They were kicking ass. So I figured that meshing these four together and then going after Hayes who had, who had been really enjoying it too and he had played with Cutler before would be a good fifth for us. So um but Counter-Strike for me felt like like a party that I didn't really belong at or like I was trying to figure my way out through like I understood the game and keeping up with the meta was interesting and stuff but this just felt like such a fresh opportunity to come and and really pave our own way so yeah Taylor can I ask a, a little bit about your background in particular like how does someone want or choose to become a professional esports coach. And then to get into it at the grassroots level, you got to dive in tier three, tier two. So what was like that come up for you? And then how did that change when we entered the world of Valorant? Um, my come up actually came through the media part. So I would do interviews with Launders, uh, the, the Counter-Strike caster. Uh, we paid our own way to go to events and start doing interviews. And then like Henry G's company, paid us a little bit of money for one event and uh some of our interviews took off like the, the Adderall interview with Semphis um <laughs> that was one that we did uh so that made like New York Times and stuff and and that landed launders the job at Yahoo Esports and um it got us a lot more exposure and then after those interviews I went to work for Splice as an analyst so I moved to California I quit my job um I used to work in the auto industry I like raced cars and I I was a mechanic for a while and stuff. Hence the BMW. It makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so cars were like my whole life for a long time. And then my friend got me into CSGO in like 2015. I played 1.6 in middle school uh, all the way into high school. And I played like some pro level matches, um, but I was always just messing around. And becoming a coach was never like a, an idea for me. I never wanted to do it. I still probably wouldn't want to do it if you asked me, honestly. Uh, <laughs> just because like this, this idea of being like a, I always tell my guys that I'm not a high school baseball coach and I don't want to yell at anyone and I just want everyone to be patient and like just play the game. That's all I want. Just play the game. I don't want to do this like psychologist father figure thing. That's just not my, my gig. So I don't know. It's hard to say uh, what made me want to do it, but I'm enjoying it a lot. So, and, and Drone, did you put the team together with Tailored? Was this all Tailored building TSM? How did the team come apart or come together? I should say it was mostly me, like me and Cutler went to Tailored, offering him like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna switch to Valorant. Would you want to come over with us?" And he's like, "I have an idea." And then he talked to Yasin and Matt. So I, I'd say it was mostly him orchestrating the whole thing, but. Uh, it was like two groups of people coming together through through him. I'll take that credit, but it was a group effort. We all, all kind of knew what the right it. move was. That's awesome. I mean, it had to feel like very good going into a game where you can kind of just reinvent yourself because it does feel like CS, as as long as it's been around, it, it, everything is very sort of, uh, all the trenches kind of dug in at this point. Everything's quite cemented and crystallized. So it does feel like a lot of players and you know struggle to gain the opportunities that maybe their skill and passion and work ethic 
uh, perhaps you know earn them. Um, so it's it's really cool to see that this come together in this way. Um, I will uh, quickly say uh, throughout this show, everybody will be doing um, some giveaways. We've got three giveaways courtesy of TSM. who have been super kind to provide us with some really dope merchandise. Obviously, you can see Taylor is uh, sporting some some awesome TSM merch right there. Uh, so if you want to be sexy like Taylor, you know, make sure that you're active in the chat. That's what you need to do to be eligible to be able to get dropped one of these giveaways. No regional restrictions. Anyone from anywhere. We've got uh, a box tee. We've got the, a canteen, the keychain, and the mouse pad. And then lastly, we've got uh, the dragon hoodie, which will be sub only. So you know, make sure that uh, you're active in the chat. And in fact, we'll do the first giveaway now. So we'll run it for about 30 seconds or so. So you just have to chat in the chat. And uh, right, so that gives us 30 seconds for some, for some small talk. What did you guys have for breakfast? <laughs> I didn't eat breakfast. I haven't eaten yet. I need coffee. I have a glass of juice. <laughs> no, so no one's eating anything. So that's, that's cool. Is that, is that something? That's an interesting question, actually. In, if, if you're going to go and compete, um, for TSM, do you guys all have different habits or do you actually, are you all on the same page in terms of what is, is, uh, the best for your performance? I think everybody on the team has their own different pregame, like, I guess, ritual, right? Like I, yeah. I try to eat and like, make sure I'm drinking a lot of water while I play, but so I know some people like, like specifically ritually wash their hands before they play like a lot. Yeah. It's like a thing that they do to like, make sure they grip the mouse, but I don't know people, I don't know what they say about it, but it's like right before they play, they go and wash their hands. I know that. I think one of our teammates says that you've seen maybe. Uh, Matt washes sense. his hands quite a bit. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of good stuff you can do to build routines um, going into games. Maybe not like superstitious routines, but um, I think that uh, there's also a lot of bullshit that gets peddled among sports teams and esports teams, especially by people who are just making shit up. It's like acupuncture in the esports world. So I, I let the guys like figure out what works for them and they're all mature enough to know that if they're feeling off their game, then they're doing something wrong and they need to assess, you know, their habits or whatever externally. And I'm happy to talk about it with them too, but most of the guys are aware enough. I mean, Wardell is like Mr. Olympia, so he knows exactly what's going on with his own body. <laughs> Makes sense. I, I actually think that the, the uh, hand-washing thing makes sense. But uh, quickly, I think uh, it's time to do the first giveaway, actually draw a winner. So if the Immortal Minds bot would be so kind to hit the, hit the big red button, we'll see who, who's getting that first giveaway, which is the box tee to start things off with. It's not nice to call Mike a bot. Push a plays? <laughs> who is it? Oh, no, it was a sub. I thought it was That was a bot. The pie guy. The pie, pie guy. guy. Away, yeah. Congrats, the pie guy. Yes. Pie is it? Yeah, that is. Pie is the way of life. I don't even have that shirt. It's a sick giveaway. <laughs> awesome. Damn, this show is awesome. We've been live for five minutes, and you're already giving stuff away. Yeah, man. Uh, we try to. Yeah, we try to. <laughs> especially if if teams want to give us some merch to to give away, we we love to do that. Just because uh, we we actually love to have like a couple play a couple you know players or coaches you know from the same team. Um, it's always interesting to get get those uh, you know people on together, see what the the chemistry is like on a, on this live show. Um, but speaking of which, you know, I have to I have to say, um, you guys have been uh, I guess somewhat quiet ultimately because there hasn't been much in the way of tournaments going on, and you know already uh, you know we we're talking sort of off stream about a little bit about you know first strike and you know rankings and stuff, and we'll get you know, deeper into some of those topics. 
But what is, what does it mean like for you? Because we, you know, in contrast to CS, you guys haven't had much, uh, you know, playtime in actual tournaments, which is a different type of practice from actual competitions. Is that weird? Um, it's a little weird. When we started playing initially, we we played a lot of tournaments. We like would enter whatever was pretty much going on, like a lot of opens. The CLG Blitz Cup, I think, was one, and and pretty pretty much anything we could play in. So we actually had a run there where we played pretty consistently a lot of tournaments, even if they weren't big ones, like uh, like uh, Ignition Series tournaments. But after that, since uh, what was the last one we played in, Taylor? The last Ignition event. Yeah, and the, since uh, then we've had that pop flash. So since then, it's been a bit weird. It's been a lot of time to practice and work on things that we want to improve about our game. So I think we're all excited to kind of show off what we've been working on. It's funny. It's been so long that our like the meta we developed is starting to feel stale already. Uh, and we haven't even played it. We haven't showed it. But all the top teams kind of know what we're doing already because we've scrimmed them so much. And we haven't even shown it in a tournament yet. So our, our like everyone's agents have changed and the way we play maps have changed. And, our IGL is different now and stuff. So there's a lot right there. Can we start though with the agents? Like, what should people in my matchmaking games be playing? Because I feel like a lot of them are running off of six month old VODs. Uh, I watched a lot of scrims yesterday and I was blown away by the amount of Reyna and Phoenix combos that I saw. Is Jet out? Is Jet still in? What should people be running, Drone? Uh, I think Jet's still in. I, I have noticed a couple of teams playing less of Jet. I'm not. I guess it's because the op nerf people maybe want to move away from her because they're expecting more of more of a nerf um, to follow that up, just specifically on Jet. But I think she's still viable, and I think people should still use her. Uh, so in your in terms of your ranked, yeah, I mean, if you have a sick Jet player, like you don't want any random guy running Jet. Like you want your best uh, either opera, just generally best mechanical player to run Jet. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't go heavy duelist in rank though, because if you have like three duelists and the things kind of go south and the other team's better than you. That goes really bad really quick. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, this game you you can play any comp, right? It just has to fit your playstyle, and you have to communicate. Um, so the hardest part about this game compared to uh, a CS pug is that Counter Strike's like um, a set way of doing things, right? And most people have been watching it for so long that they kind of understand a default. A rush uh they know how to throw basic utility but in this game it's like there's colors and explosions and you don't know what the hell is going on half the time so it takes a little bit for people to get used to but i think in the next like couple of years or whatever you'll see people pick up like oh i gotta fill in the sage or brimstone or whatever yeah and you know um <laughs> One thing I think that is that we did have in terms of tournaments, obviously, is we did have the Renegades Invitational as maybe a somewhat of a look into maybe where the meta is going right now, at least in North America. Um, and of course, a lot of the top teams were missing from that tournament, you guys included. And it, it, you know, what did you think about some of the games you saw from that tournament? We obviously had the the, the biggest storyline is Andbox, of course, doing so well. Um, but it, but it's almost I feel like with that. There's almost you know a pinch of salt that needs to be added because in this game um, it feels as though even more so than like much more so than CS you know a team can have a really good run if they're a brand new team and it can be a lot down to the fact that no one's used to playing them no one is understanding what to expect from them and as soon as you know teams start to say okay this team is actually a threat does a little bit of work gets a bit more intel prepares a bit better then that team's results might dip quite significantly. Um, is this something that you guys are like, are you looking at Ambox like that right now? Or do you, are you genuinely impressed with 
what they were able to accomplish at Renegades Invitational. I mean, I think the most exciting thing for me about that Renegades tournament was to see like the, the new roster like Unbox come out and play. Because I think that was the first uh maybe not the first tournament they played in together, but the first like with a bunch of eyes on them, or at least enough, um, against tier one teams. And so I mean you can't discredit entirely what they did, but also, you know, that like you said that tournament didn't have all the tier one teams in it. You know, they weren't the best in it. Uh I'm excited to play them if we get to. That'd be really cool. But um just with the people on the team, I'm friends with all those guys and I'm I'm happy to see them finding some success. So uh, yeah, I wouldn't discredit what they did, but also like I wouldn't take it as like a you know they're a tier one team yet. Yeah, I played with uh, Brat with Android and uh, Jake uh, Yester, and both those guys are so talented. I don't know if I can curse. I'm sorry if I slip. Uh, but, <laughs> You're all uh, good. Okay, you be you. Uh, the, those guys, <laughs> yeah, that works. <laughs> those guys are uh, so talented that I'm just happy to see them with like the org support to do what they need to do. Um, I know that they had some trouble finding like a full roster to fill out, but it seems like the five that they got are, are willing to put in the work. So we'll see how they can compete at a, at the highest level or how all of us can compete at the highest level. Honestly, it's been so long that, you know, all these teams who were at the top, us and Sentinels and Envy and stuff could be a lot further down now. We don't we don't know. We just won't know until this tournament comes up, but we feel pretty confident. So we're we're still so early in Valorant that I feel like every team at this point, as a producer, like my mind says, we need to make one or two stars on every single team. So if I could ask you guys to break down this squad, I see if you go to the Wikipedia page, if you go to the spike, there's different lineups here. But according to their most recent lineup, it says Yeaster, Android, Akis, Poach, Seb, and Boy. Uh, Boy, of course, just got announced yesterday, I believe. So out of all those names, who are the one or two that you'd put at the top of the list as players to watch for any of the fans that may want to support this New York team? Android and Ye, right? I think Taylor Yeah, definitely Brad, Brad and Jake. Um, just because of the the plays that they're going to have. But, I mean, people sleep on players like Seb. I don't know Boy, really, except through Valorant. And I don't know anything about Poach um, just because I'm so disconnected from... Uh, other esports so all these like overwatch or fortnite people coming in i'm like i have no idea who you are um <laughs> but i think a lot of people slept on seb and uh in counter-strike i always like the way he played and he always seemed like a smart player so i think uh people should be paying attention to him even though sports had a break your business didn't you have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever indeed is here to help Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. 
Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonus today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, Bet Online, your, sp- your online sportsbook experts. Uh, speaking of you know other roster changes, there's been so many, and uh, you know one of the the recent ones was that we saw uh, for Gen G, um, Evie's got dropped and Sean got added. Um, Sean, I think is uh, on the top 100 ranking is mm-hmm. was 11th, I think, and so so definitely someone that's been on the grind. Do you guys know much about this Sean character? <laughs> Besides playing him in rank, no, but he did. He's played a couple of ranked against me and he went pretty crazy. So if he plays like that, it'll be insane. But, you know, it's ranked. It's a bit different. Does he have I'm a go to agent that you know of, Drone? Uh, no, he played it. I think he played Reyna when I played against him. So I'm, I'm definitely know he's a duelist, but I'm not sure which is his go to. Yeah, Genji's going to have to switch up their lineup a little bit, I think, to, to fit him in in a way that he wants to play. But I honestly don't know much about Sean. So I haven't seen him compete really at a, a high tier tournament so we'll see if his ranked capabilities can keep up with uh you know his competitive play but can we talk I, about the oh sorry no go ahead and i was just gonna say i, I trust the gen g guys uh their coach is smart the players are smart um and i love effies too i i hope effies goes to a nice team he's he's a super smart player i feel like when i look at gen g i kind of know what player one is going to do uh, but the rest of the squad has kind of moved around different roles. Is there anyone you think is playing a role that doesn't necessarily fit them on the squad right now? And knowing that another duelist could potentially be coming in, who would you swap around if anyone off the top of your head? Um, I don't want to say too much who's running what agent, like in scrims, because they might not want certain teams to know. You're a good guy. Uh, yeah, well, I, just, <laughs> I hope they're not on some podcast talking about our agents either, so... Um, but I think like, uh, those guys just have a really strong chemistry. Uh, so as long as everyone's kind of comfortable on their agent, their chemistry is what's going to win them games. So it's not really like, uh, who fits what role or whatever. It's almost like an even playing field. That's what it feels like when we play him, at least any, any one of them could pop off. Yes, it's going to be interesting to see how everything actually shakes out in the scene overall as well in terms of how people find their comfort on various teams and rosters. It does feel like there's been this this shakeup and we have first strike around the corner. So people or teams need to be cementing the lineups that they they wish to use and picking the right players is definitely it feels like it feels like that question is still up in the air to a certain degree as to, you know, what really makes the best Valorant player and it, I think for two reasons one, because we don't exactly know for sure where the game is going in terms of the long term. Is is it going to be the case that, right, add an incredibly huge roster of, of agents, like a massive agent pool, and you have to be having players that are able to be very adaptable and really on top of meta changes week to week and understanding how to like work within the, the drafting strategies? Or are things going to be a little bit more static? You know, it seems like it's still up in the air, like what a, what, what a Valorant player actually is. So is, is it 
just weird is it some what of a crapshoot do you think in terms of selecting players are people relying on rankings and and like overly and are they relying on uh you know just performances um uh, mechanically more so than the other aspects because mechanics is easy to see but this game is definitely less mechanical than cs and definitely players it feels like they need to be smarter than in cs on average uh yeah i think the meta moving forward especially later in the game's lifetime i don't think right now since there's not so many agents in the pool but i think it's going to be a really dynamic kind of uh situation where players need to be able to play like they're just not gonna be able to play one agent or two agents you have to be able to like confidently and confidently play on three maybe four so i think being mechanically skilled just overall like with your aiming and your like weapon uh is going to be really important but also being able to like adapt to a situation or adapt to comps based on what the other team's running or what your team wants to do because right now, like I said, there's there's not enough agents in the game for that to be so much of an important factor. But I definitely think that's what it's moving toward. Yeah, I'm a little afraid that um, if they add more agents in the pool, then it's going to be it's going to become more puggy each time you play, less set strategies and stuff, which is not as uh, exciting for me. Just because I feel like the best part about Counter Strike is that it's always the teamwork that let's allows teams to win you know there's people like zywu and stuff that can pop off and win you a game but you've seen with simple and nico and zywu that even with someone dropping 40 and trying to backpack their whole team you still can't win tournaments um a lot of the time so i think in this game i hope that teamwork stays at the forefront of what what pushes teams to win tournaments. And I hope Riot is aware of that. That's why I get afraid of like healing abilities and these crazy ultimates and stuff. But I'm just biased because I come from a 20-year-old game. <laughs> well, uh, one thing we could, we could look at right now quickly is, you know, we have had a lot of these roster moves and uh, we actually had uh, the Smite GG. I saw that they released a you know top 10 ranking for North America. And there's been obviously so few tournaments and generally the sample size of, of competitive matches to create a ranking is a little bit uh, suspect, I suppose, at this point. But, it, you know, it just is what it is. So, um, yeah, uh, you guys can see on screen that uh, Sentinels is up on the number one spot. You guys are on the number two spot. Um, we've got some an entrance from Mamba Mode Gaming, which is cool. They've been a great up and coming team. Uh, T1's, you know, doing a bit better as well. Do, do you think that this, these rankings make sense from your experiences? There's no phase. There's no hundred thieves. Just call out a few of the names. Uh, no immortals on this mm -hmm. list, which kind of blew my mind. So is that is that how things should be, guys? Or or what needs to change here? Is it the second half of the group? The first five look fine to me. Uh, yeah, it's a little weird that like phase isn't on there or someone, but I, I think it's just generally weird that they decided to come out with a ranking system in the middle of the biggest break between tournaments so far we've had in the game. It just seems like a bit of a counterproductive right you think they'd wait until like at least after this first strike tournament shot release this but i mean yeah phase should be on there i think hundred thieves well again because hundred thieves really hasn't played anything so yeah, yeah the first half to be, see. So. i think immortals isn't on there because they had such a big roster shakeup by the way yeah, uh, they only they only had like two remaining players um but yeah i mean the top five any one of those teams i think could win a tournament honestly all of these teams um could probably win a tournament on the right day uh mambo mode uh parted ways with we did who was a big part of their roster but we've still scrimmed them after he left and, and they still put up pretty good numbers so um equinox obviously trying to win is like the new hot team right now right 
So yeah, all these teams are pretty solid. I probably wouldn't put T1 in the top 10 right now. Um, but just that's just because there's so many orgs. I mean, phase 100 thieves, you know, we play the we've played all these teams and, and I kind of have a ranking in my head um, of how I would put it, but we just need a competition. And we need a land really badly. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My God, we need to get offline. <laughs> Dude, it would be, yeah, just that first international land. Just, I think, uh, it, it's so interesting. A lot of people, that a lot of pros I've spoken to have said that just it doesn't even matter region to region, just match up to match up within your own region. It can feel like stylistically so different. Um, and so that is just such an interesting prospect because that's something that's in CS. Just the fundamental nature of the game made it so that there is somewhat of an op I mean, there's an optimal way, more or less, to play CS. And that's what you're trying to strive for. And for a long time, it was really about figuring out how to put all those pieces together. I think Astralis was the first team that really showed how to ha do that. And then it felt like everyone was trying to do what Astralis was doing and then perfect all of those fundamentals. But with this game, it feels like it's not about any objective, you know, one best way to play the game. There's just a lot of different ways to play the game. There's a lot of mind games. There's a lot of uh, adaptation, and that's you know where the game is is won. So it's it's really to to me um, what is most striking with that idea in terms of how it's different to CS is that in CS you can have a team that does it the best, and that's clear. Is do you are you worried that there won't be as much of a reward in this game for being an Astralis? Let's say is it is there going to be too many results that will be won because oh we just didn't. We, we didn't we only had you know it's only mr12 we only had so many rounds to adapt we didn't adapt in time we lost a key map you know that's not represent I, I don't feel that's as representative as as to the skill of our team we should have probably won that game if we played it 10 out of 10 you know 10 times as opposed to you know three maps uh yeah i think that's gonna be a thing moving forward i specifically like that you brought up the stylistic uh, clashes between teams i think that's a lot of what made us versus sentinel so entertaining for people especially in that phase of invitational is that when we play them they they play us like no other team at least at the time had played us so it really caught us off and it made us like adapt on the fly and change a lot about our game while we were playing them and you know it, i think someone mentioned i forget who it was that we brought the best out in each other even though there's a bit of a rivalry there they we definitely made each other play to our best potential and um i'm excited to see more of that moving forward but like you said it might it might eliminate the dominance that would happen in terms of like a shallow and counter strike but i don't know if that's necessarily a, a bad thing maybe i think that's would make for more entertaining storylines between teams yeah it's interesting because i feel like you know i try and watch like eu games i try and watch uh matches from everywhere but um, I still feel like South America and EU are behind on the meta when it comes to agent comps and stuff. I still feel like there's an ideal comp and there's agents you should be playing. So even though there isn't like one set way to play the game, I mean, you could run five Vipers and, and have a good game for sure. Wait, Vipers viable? Yeah, for sure. 100%. Okay. She's, she's extremely strong right now. Thank uh, you. <laughs> but she is complicated. Like you need to really change the way you play and people don't want to put that time in, you know? Um, so yeah, you'll probably see Viper on a map or two of ours coming up. Yeah, I think, and you mentioned we did earlier. He, he's, uh, he's, he did some really great stuff with Viper that, yeah. especially on buying that. I remember when Mike and I were doing a lot of, uh, it was some demo analysis. We were very impressed by some of the, some of, some of the, the dynamics that we saw that are unique to Viper that were like, 
holy shit, this is actually very strong and this is unique to Viper, but we don't see it because no one plays Viper. So people are not finding all of these advantages in, in the way that you can. But uh, I remember Steele brought up an interesting point um, when we spoke to him a, a couple of weeks ago, where he said that, you know, Viper is an interesting one because with Viper, you need Viper to live. Like, like Viper must stay alive in the round. And if you're, you know, running a Cypher as well, you know, Cypher is similarly needs to survive um, throughout the entire round. So you've got uh, an issue in terms of, the, as you said, like you have to change the dynamic as to how you play to really accommodate um, how to fit that into a structure that makes sense. Yeah, I think Viper is more of a Sentinel than anything else. Uh, I don't know what the they call the smokers in the game. Controllers, I think. Controllers, right? yeah. yeah. I don't. I wouldn't consider her a controller. I think she's more of a daddy anchor for sites, and in turn, she becomes like a lurker on T side, or on uh, attacking side, um, because she needs to stay alive and she can work so much of the map by herself. Um, but I think like Cloud9 is a really good example. Tyson uh, Tens had a lot of good Viper tech that he wanted to use, but I think the team just didn't have the structure at the time. Um, I don't yeah, know if it was 40. Yeah, I don't know if it was in their like server work or their lack of a coaching staff or whatever, but they just couldn't make it work to win tournaments. So he swapped off of it um, and went into the duelist role, which is appropriate for him because he's a motherfucking duelist uh, <laughs> yeah but uh so i think you can make any character work i mean we could still swap brim for omen on most maps and make it work you seen would love to play brim again but uh you know it's just it's more about like finding what's ideal and then really using your communication skills to make it work yeah, I remember playing Cloud9 in the, it was, was it, the, it was right after beta, right? And I don't know, Tens was screaming us with Viper a lot on Vine. And watching him do some of the stuff he did was really interesting. It was like uh, the first time I got to see Viper use like competently. Yeah, and, uh, it was annoying. It's just stuff we hadn't seen before. So it was like, okay. Yeah, you'd be in A site and like a little green ball would fall into the bomb site. And you're like, what is that? And it pops <laughs> and then just like a smoke all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. especially, I'll go ahead. I was going to say, I feel like her snake bite doesn't suck anymore as well, which is no, kind of it's a, really strong. A, a game changer if you're a Viper player out there. Shout out to like the seven people in matchmaking. <laughs> yeah, the, the, that's the crazy thing with Viper because so few people are playing her. It's kind of like initially um, when you have when you have something that's very strong, like let's say the the whole jet dynamic with the one way smokes and, you know, you get an operator and you you take risky angles and you dash like it's everyone's just doing that gimmick and there's very few people that are thinking what other stuff can i do to kind of push the envelope in terms of innovating uh, tactically what that agent can do because why would you do that it's opportunity cost this these things are where i should spend my time i felt like you know that that that's happened with a lot of different agents and with i think one way smokes is like such a big one it's like especially with viper for example there's so many one ways which if a player knows like sees that one way it's just very very obvious how you play against it and it's just doesn't really have much value. And that smoke is very good. So I'm, I am waiting for people to figure out the snake bite, similarly as well, I've been seeing more developments from the, the smoke, because the radius is huge. And if people know lineups and you're, you're wanting to like retake sites, and as you say, like let's say you save the toxic screen and you're playing the anchor on, on a site and at, you know, you're playing retake, Viper's toxic screen plus the like the the snake bites are pretty immense in terms of taking position and, and angles away. I don't, I can't think of another agent that can do do that in that way. So it's kind of cool the possibilities. I can't wait to see what teams come up with with Viper. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think another thing, uh, so like one interesting piece of tech that that we like to use a lot is the fact that Viper makes the Phantom like the best rifle you can use Ooh, because yeah. of the decay on her orb. So a lot of teams trying to execute and pop in this game because, I mean, our team memes all the time that this game rewards aggression. We say that all the time during scrims. Uh, kind of is a joke, but it's definitely true. Uh, <laughs> so teams like to pop a lot. And if you pop through an omen smoke, nothing happens. If you pop through a viper smoke, everyone is one shottable now with a phantom, which takes away any advantage the vandal had over the phantom. So that's just like one little thing that viper can add. And all agents have stuff like that. You know, it's just about putting in the time and effort to figure it out with as a team. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of time and effort and figuring things out as a team. Um, Icebox has been uh, available for a little while, and you know we, you know we're going to see that playable on November twenty fourth. So there's been some time as a team to prepare for that map. What is like, what's the state of that for you guys at the moment? I really like Icebox, and it's hard to separate if I like it because it's new and just something different, or if I like it because it's genuinely good map. I really do think it has a lot of potential, and it's actually really good. It feels nice to play, even though it looks a little wonky. Mm -hmm. Like I got to, I had the opportunity to play it before it released. You know that that private uh, content creator thing. I got to play in that, and that was, it was really cool. Especially that Riot was so involved in the process and willing to listen to the feedback and players and things that were wrong. So I think right now, as it is, it's a good map. I'm actually excited to play it in the tournament. I think one of our strengths as a team is adaptability, and like just being able, like with new content thrown at us, we're not going to be scared or shy away from it. You know, we'll be willing to play it, and I think we'll be better than most teams on it. So I'm excited for it. Okay. Yeah, we're we're one of the only teams that's actually scrimmed it. I think, to be honest, yeah. uh, no one else has really touched the map, and it was hard for me to get scrims for the, the week it came out. But um, when Ascent came out, we dove in because we wanted to be the best on that map immediately. Uh, so, and then everyone gave a shit for not running Sage on the map, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but Icebox is like it's a super complicated layout. Um, I'm still not sure how the layout's going to play. It's kind of interesting because coming from Counter-Strike, every map has like an A, a B, and a mid, right? So that's what we're used to. And when Bind came out, I was really dissatisfied with the lack of mid. I didn't think the teleporters were enough of a gimmick to justify that. And Bind is still like this weird 4-1, five-man meta everything. And uh, it just makes for boring gameplay. And I really don't like the layout of the map because of that. But Icebox is definitely different than that. But you're going to see a lot of weird, non-Counter-Strike-y metas come uh, just because of how complicated the layout is. Uh, and it's gorgeous. I mean, it's a really pretty map. Yep. It feels like the Vandal could have a huge impact on that map. Yeah, uh, 100%. A lot of the gunfights I took, especially trying to take V the phantom just was not the go-to i needed to hit that one headshot from from range is that going to be enough to change the rifles that we're seeing in competitive play are we already seeing more vandals or do you think people just find ways to make the phantom work with smokes i think they did a really good job uh after they buffed the vandal to make them both so viable that it's like even as a player and having this much time with the buff i'm not even sure if there's one 
rifle that I'm going to use. Like, I switch consistently between the Vandal and the Phantom. But on Icebox, like you said, there's those long sight lines, but there's also really tight corners, like, in them. I don't know what you guys call it, but we call it kitchen, or, like, yeah, where you go through that long tube. Those are really tight corners. They're really good for uh, Phantom engagements. Uh, A-Sight, or it is A-Sight, right? The Maze Sight? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that That was should be B, by the way. I think A A and B are swapped on those maps. We we will scrim, and I'm like, go A. Fuck, I mean B. The other A. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think a site like, if you go through the bottom part of the site, it's a lot of close corners, a lot of really quick fights, or one-shottable range for Phantom. But if you go up top on that, uh, we call it, like, Heaven, it's really good for Vandal because you're having such long fights. So I think the map in general will... The, there's going to be no rifle dominance on the map. I think it'll be dependent on the players and their roles. Okay. I was playing Omen, so that makes a lot of sense. It's like, yeah, it was yeah. always high ground A. Yeah, that's... that's... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, I think... Uh... Both rifles are per I mean, people come in my chat all the time. They're like, Phantom or Vandal? Phantom or Vandal? That's like easily the question I get the most. And I just tell them, whatever's going to get you a kill, just use that gun. It's whatever you're comfortable with. Like, um, Phantom, I think on paper is probably better just because it has more bullets. I mean, that alone could make it better. But um, it really depends. Depends what agent you're playing, what map you're playing, how you're playing. Uh, there's so many variables in this game. It's crazy. It's actually, uh, it's, it is a question we actually tend to ask guests at every single episode, just as a nice little filler question, because it, it is really interesting the amount of answers that we get. But I feel like what it always seems to come back to is that because it's so, there's so much of a an argument either which way for different situations, as you say, it feels like Riot did a pretty good job with those two guns, actually, like a really good job. It feels very hard. That, I mean, look at CS, like, you know, those guns have been established for, for many years, but the whole like AKM4 thing, you know, those guns have been changed a lot um, over the years. Yeah, no, Riot did a great job balancing them and making them both like attractive to players with different play styles. I think the um, weapons in general have been balanced pretty well. There's still a few like pretty OP things about the Odin, uh, especially. I think the Odin is like so dumb. Uh, <laughs> <just> <laughs> Yeah, just because, like, um, my issue... So the reason I didn't have a big issue with the Operator, and I know I meme about it on Twitter a lot, but the reason I didn't have a big issue with the Operator was that because it was defensible. So nothing's that OP if it's defensible, right? You cannot defend against an Odin spraying you through nine walls. Um, the only indefensible thing about the Operator was Jet, which is why I was calling for a Jet nerf. I think most pro players were calling for a Jet nerf rather than an operator nerf first right yeah yeah that, that actually did surprise me that they took the option of actually kind of not really touching jet but massively uh altering the operator and still not adding a scope sound so that's cool yeah um <laughs> well, what, what do you what do you do with jet i think that's their problem like uh if you nerf anything about her, I don't think people are going to want to play her that much. So I think whatever they do, they're going to have to get pretty creative to make it a viable solution where she's still played sometimes. She yeah, it's weird because silent. Yeah, nothing about Jet is that OP except where she gets the op, and then she can do that dash. And it's just it's crazy just that you can go for a free pick and dash away for free with like no punishment. So and her alt is insane. Maybe there's like a weight restriction on the dash that will come in at some point. So any weapons, <laughs> yeah. all weapons will suddenly have a weight value and oh the operator in Odin, she can't. Um, <laughs> playing Tarkov now. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah absolutely. 
I was speaking of, uh, you know, agents and so on. Uh, we have obviously Sky releasing in uh, in three days, and so everyone will be able to play her, and she'll be playable in First Strike November 9th. You guys excited for Sky? Concerned for Sky? Um, does she seem cool? Definitely seems cool. Uh, I got to play her, and she was... Um, I, I didn't get to... The, the pool of players was like very vast so you had the players on tier one teams and you had just content creators so it was really hard to tell where she fit in in like a really like high tier competitive standpoint um i think it's interesting that her flashes are shootable like her little bird flashes you can shoot them before they pop and they won't find you if you manage to do it um how hard is that? it's not they're not they don't move very fast it's like, like two if you're, bullets yeah yeah it's like two or three bullets and her alt also is shootable so i think it's kind of hard to see i think they might need to buff the flashes a little bit but um, I'm excited for, like I said, I think we're really confident in our ability to adapt and change to different things in the game. So, I think the amount of you of um, tech she brings is pretty insane. So not only does she have the flash and the ult that's perfect for post plants and sight takes and stuff, she also has an AOE heal that you can stop and start whenever you want. So I think uh, on on paper she's really strong, but so was Killjoy, uh, and then. You know, now Killjoy is like still viable in a few maps, but I don't think she's that strong. With Sky, I thought it was the the Tasmanian Devils, the ultimate. Is that going to actually be worthwhile in tournament play? Do you think people will be able to hunt down those kills in time, or is just getting the information going to be good enough? You mentioned you could shoot them, so I'm yep. thinking like as a player at the pro level, how much do you actually get from that alt? I'm honestly thinking. I think the most exciting part of that ult is the fact that not so much like a good player almost never is going to get hit by that. They move really slow and you can shoot them, like I said. But um, the info it gets, especially if you're in like a 1v2, 1v3 and you don't know where they are, if you pop that, even if it doesn't kill them, you see what way they go. So you right. know where, you know, they're playing. So there's some pretty cool potential for like clutch situations with that. Um, but yeah, it's no, I think that's like mostly, a cypher ult. Yeah, kind of. Almost. Just a little bit less. But uh, I think it'll be mostly used for info. It'll, I don't think it'll ever really hit anybody. <laughs> and, uh, see how that goes. her like uh Roomba thing I don't know what it's called but that acts as an AoE blind as well so not only does she have flashes AoE heal she also has an AoE blind and a singular stun uh, plus the ultimate so that's a pretty strong agent on paper what do you so I'm not playing her yeah. <laughs> what do you think about her flashes giving like an audio cue when they actually blind someone do you think that is like good enough even though the flashes are easily like broken do you think that's a good balance or is that too much maybe i think it's kind of cool it's interesting it's different yeah i haven't actually played with her yet so i i can't really say until i run around the server with her it's do we know her in, in the lineup sorry do we know how long she's out before we see her at the pro level? Like, will Riot restrict her in most tournaments moving forward? Do you think community events will restrict her? Uh, yeah, Riot, Riot puts an embargo on, on their new agents. November 9th is the first day that you can use her for first strike. Yeah. Yep. Which is kind of nuts, because, like, you know, we've been doing all this prep work, and we might have to quickly change our entire comp and setup, uh, you know, a few weeks into a big tournament, so... Who would you say on TSM uh, would most fit how you anticipate Sky to play? Like, who would make the most sense on TSM? Or is that something that you, you wouldn't feel comfortable 
Honestly, right now. <laughs> uh, well, most of the top teams, I mean, like the fans and stuff don't know who's playing what agent and stuff. They don't even know that, you know, Cutler's IGLing now and he has been for months. Um, but most of the top teams kind of know, like just because we've been screaming everybody. But I think that um, what we really want is a jet nerf because there's there's a lot of agents that we want to put in our lineup that we can't because Jed is just too strong. She's too right. too powerful to use. So, I mean, Wardell will tell you that he wants a jet nerf more than anybody. <laughs> okay. He's Interesting. Sick, he's sick of playing against her and he's sick of people getting away with stuff because of their playing jet. You know, he wants to rely on his op skills um, just for what they are. So I respect Andy, it. And he's a good rifler. Okay, so I'll, I'll take this moment before we sort of move things along um, to do our second giveaway. Um, so, you know, we're giving away uh, the canteen, the uh, keychain and the mouse pad. So all you have to do is be active in chat and uh, we'll we'll start that right now. Um, I want to ask you, Jerome, actually, whilst we're doing this. So we, we had Scream on and we were talking about, you know, usual Valorant things. And he, he his mind was blown that, he thinks Phoenix has just always been garbage. And he had no idea how Phoenix came into meta in North America. And I actually blame you for that. So why is, because uh, I think you're an amazing Phoenix. I think you're, you're definitely the best Phoenix player I've seen on the pro level. So what is it about Phoenix that you think made so much sense? And why did it you know, complement TSM and your play style? Um, I think the thing that drew me to Phoenix initially was his... Design as a character really fits my playstyle. Um, it's really aggressive and it's very playmaking. Uh, I think the thing with him is that, and maybe youth just has a different mindset on this, but like his ability for on the fly playmaking, decision making kind of thing like that, like where you can you see an opening and you can take it really quickly with Phoenix because his flashes are like they're selfish, but they can also be used as a, in a team environment. But you know, if you see a window of something, you can flash that smoke or you can flash around the corner or you can go for the kill. Um, Whereas like on a on a character like Breach, where you can flash for yourself technically, it's not really going to work so well. You have the weapon pull out time. You have the flashes that are somewhat turnable if the person's fast enough. Um, and I think that maybe if, I guess I don't want to say they haven't played against a good enough Phoenix to see why he's viable. But like I appreciate you saying that I'm the best or whatever. I'm the reason the the meta came around. But I'm I'm happy to see other people picking him up and actually using him in the way that like I thought he was really viable in a, a comp. And I think in our playstyle, it complements it pretty well. Because um, we're like I said, we're very like we're we have strats and we have strategies and we have like set things, but we also have ability to like adapt on the fly and make make those adjustments that uh you need to do in the middle of a game. So and I think Phoenix is really good for that. Can we get drones official top three Phoenixes in North America list? Ooh, uh, not myself, right? Uh, we'll put you at number zero, the originator. <laughs> okay. Uh, but. Caboose before he's like kind of doing Reyna and Phoenix, but Caboose is really solid. Um, Corey, yeah, but he also plays like Rays too. But God, Corey's insane, that guy. Mm -hmm. um, so, and he's then really I don't know. Cute too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I can't really think of. A, I don't know if anyone else really mains Phoenix. GMD played him for a little bit. Yeah, we don't. I can't even name someone else who plays him, honestly. And have you seen a Phoenix in any other regions? Do you first of all, do you watch the other regions drone or you just focus on what's going on with NA? Um, we as a team watch it. Taylor specifically takes time outside of practice himself to like watch other regions and really pay attention. And whatever he finds from there that he thinks is is important or uh, something that we should look at, he'll bring to practice and we'll spend time together watching. So I have experience watching some games, but not as much as like someone like like you or or Taylor or DDK. For sure. 
Yeah, it's, it's actually interesting Sinatra's name hasn't been dropped here. Is there a reason why you think that Sinatra's Phoenix isn't worth mentioning in the in the top three here? He's got I a think, lot of fans, man. I think Sinatra, I think Sova. I just is in my head. I don't think of him as a Phoenix. I think he's okay. so, like <laughs> playing against him, I'm just he's so much or I think he's so much more impactful as a Sova. He's really he's like the most annoying Sova I've ever played against. So in my mind, yeah. I don't connect him as a Phoenix player. I, I connect him as a Sova player. Fine, I mean, one map, Dan. <laughs> True that, yeah. I respect that. Well, with that said, um, time to press the button. Um, the Immortal Minds bot is going to draw a winner. And uh, for the record, as we had uh, uh, mentioned earlier, it is not Mike. It is a bot we have specifically made for this show. And uh, it is Dioralof. So congratulations. You have won yourself some TSM merch, the Canteen Keychain and Mousepad. The next giveaway will be at the end of the Ask Us Anything segment, and that's going to be the Dragon Hoodie, which will be a sub-only giveaway that is, it's it's pretty gorgeous. So, right, um, moving things forward then. Um, we kind of talked already about sort of the current state, state of the game, um, but what are we hoping to get out of First Strike most, given that it's really the the return, the big return to um, you know, some, the most serious tournaments and Riot are kind of backing this and Riot are going to be running those finals as well. So this is a, this is a big deal. Yeah, I think this is gonna. I think the tournament is gonna set the precedent for like moving forward. What what Valorant tournaments are gonna look like for the most part, because Riot is so involved in this, and they're they're by far the most involved of any tournament. Like they've talked to us individually, and they've talked to other teams just specifically about the tournament and what things should happen. Um, and on top of that, I think it's a really good way to start seeing where where teams match up with all the new roster shakeups and where where things have gone. So you know us against Sentinel, see how that matchup still goes, because we haven't played them in, like Taylor said, even in practice or any kind of capacity in like months. So it's hard to say where that's at. Um, if Genji stacks up or Nbox, maybe they are a top team. So I think that's going to be like the most exciting thing for me as a player is to see where everyone else is right now, because I know where we are and I know how our practice has been going, but it's hard to say what everyone else has been doing. Yeah, so, is, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's like, um, I think in the future, it won't be qualifier only. So that's a little different. You probably will see invites to future ride events. Um, so I think a lot of the pro players at the top tier are just like kind of afraid of playing online versus uh, a lot of the lower tier teams, um, especially with like how many cheating accusations are going around in right. the super amateur level. Um because like coming from Counter-Strike, we had this honor system where you always assumed no one was cheating. Um, and I think, you know, we never felt like anyone was cheating against us in CS. And we wouldn't accuse anyone right now, obviously. Uh, we don't feel like top teams are cheating against us. But it's just scary coming into a new game like that, going into an, a qualifier-only event just a little freaky. You never know what can happen online. Yeah, it's a bit scary that like all these. There were a couple of tier two players that got outed and caught, right, and banned for cheating. And then if you think of like the entry requirements for the tournament is like Immortal One or something, right? And if it's honestly not that hard to cheat, I mean, so many people will just be like, "Why not?" You know, try it. And then that could really affect the outcome of a, of a qualifier. So that's kind of spooky. Yeah, it's tough because from a tournament organizer side, like, how can you do an invite only event at this point if you're trying to launch a league? Like, you need yeah. to be as open as possible. So it's a double-edged sword. Um, I think we're going to see the, the top teams ending up where they're supposed to be. But for you guys, you've done a ton of scrimming, but I assume that's with a small pool because you don't want to show everyone on the planet your strats. So who, I guess, are you guys looking forward to playing or or matching up against for the first time, Taylor? Um, 
Well, like Drone said, Sentinels is one of the only teams that we haven't scrimmed much, so it's going to be fun to play them again. Um, I think that Sinatra recently had an injury, so he hasn't been able to play much, which is unfortunate. So I hope that they're in top shape when we get to play them, just so they don't have any excuses. <laughs> uh, but most likely, we wouldn't even see them until like you know a month out or whatever, till the end of the tournament, uh, just because these qualifiers allow so many teams to move through. Um, but I think that outside of that, I mean, so me and drone, I started a pro scrim discord, uh, which is now the one that all the teams use. As far as I know, uh, we wanted to make sure that that was really organized and, uh, there's like a tier one group and a tier two group and we scrim, you know, everything, everyone in there, or we try to at least. So we've played against, you know, Gen G, Envy, Energy, 100 Thieves, T1, all these teams. So we, we kind of know how we match up against pretty much every team going into it. And what's the philosophy behind that? Because in so many other esports, I've I've seen like teams that just have a hardcore training partner, or maybe they'll have a group of three, but they're their top rivals, they refuse to show them anything leading up to events. So what has been, I guess, the strategy for TSM? Because it seems like you've been the team since the very beginning, playing as many tournaments as you can, showing off as many streams as you can, just the highlights are out there. You guys uh, are clearly not giving away other people's strategies. You keep your own strategies close um, to yourselves, I guess, until you show them in an event. But it, it's not something where I feel like we come into a tournament day and I'm seeing TSM play for the first time. Yeah, uh, I think that a lot of our... So our communication has always been kept under wraps. Like, I don't allow tournaments to do listen-ins or anything. Because the way we run our defaults and the way we run our strategies and our pacing is uh, that's more of like the trade secret rather than like the utility we're using or whatever. Because, I mean, even even if you know how we throw an A hit, I guarantee that we have some fake off of it that we can just throw at you too. So um, there's also stuff that we just don't run in certain practices. So if we're playing Gen G and we know a certain A rush works, we're not going to run it against them. There's no point. Like we know it's going to work, uh, so we'll just practice something else. So we have goals in our scrims. Um, we don't really play scrims like matches. So well, sometimes we do. Going in towards a tournament, like this whole week, we played more like matches. But um, I think that's what separates it. Is like you can run certain things against certain teams. You know, it's like having two chess players and you're just doing each other's moves back and forth to each other and just kind of trying to understand what works. Yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive to people that might not know. It's like you think like, oh, if something works, do it a lot. But if it, in practice, if something works, you don't do it a lot because you don't want them to learn to adapt. You know, yeah, exactly. it'll stop working if you keep doing it. So yeah, like he said, if, if we know something works, we'll be like, all right, put that in the book. You leave it there. Bring it out later when we need it. It's good for now. Do you guys think that? Because I think over time we we will definitely get more and more CS players kind of jumping across just as things grow. Um, and they have uh, obviously a great skill set to jump across with, as you guys also came from CS. Do you feel like this? Do you feel like there's a lot of CS players that just wouldn't transfer very well to this game? And you know, for what reasons would that be? If that's the case, it's hard to say any CS player wouldn't be able to, just because the game at its core is like mechanically so much almost identical to Counter Strike. Like any professional Counter Strike player will come, and he'll be able to be like immortal radiant just off of the fact that he can shoot people in the head way better than most people but like 
the utility isn't so much like Counter Strike, where in CS, like you said, there's uh, like set ways to use it, set pop flashes, set smokes, things like that. In this game, it's so much more on the fly, off the cuff kind of stuff. Like you need to be able to see what's happening, make a decision, and adapt really quickly. And it's I can't name off the top of my head any CS players I I don't think can do that, but I know it's definitely a different skill set just from having the experience of coming from Counter Strike to playing this game. It's like it's it's a different part of like your your brain that you use to like use the utility in this game that it does in Counter Strike. Yeah, I think uh, right now the game is at a crucial moment where the people who switched over earlier are like getting way ahead of the people who are trying to switch over now. Um, and I think it's just because the game is evolving and the meta is starting to grow for how to play these rounds out, especially on T-sides. Uh, you'll see a lot of CS teams come over and they just play these super slow, we call them nobbies, these super slow rounds. And uh, it just doesn't work in this game. You can't do that. Yeah, I forget who I heard say it the other day that like, uh, it's like all the Counter-Strike players that initially moved over are now becoming Valorant players and all the... Uh... All the people moving over are still going to be CS players playing Valorant, so it's like a yeah. bit of a bit of a gap. Mm. Yeah, I feel that for sure. It, it does seem like a very interesting uh, switch for a lot of people, because also, like again, I think you don't get as way with mechanics as much um, for sure. Like in CS, it feels like there are definitely a lot of players, and I think that the way, at least my perception of the ecosystem of how players kind of get known is is ultimately like you know you have to be uh, you have to to some extent be a pug star and to show off that mechanically you can hang but the thing is is that you know mechanics can get you out of a lot of poor spots that in professional play is not going to be in a very helpful for you those, those kinds of habits to be getting into those spots in the first place so i feel like it's that's another interesting spot for, for valorant is that there there's also a tier of cs i feel like what well, again taking astralis as the, an, an example where you have a great you know uh, coaching staff and support structure and, and and much more of a regimented approach to team play. It feels like certain players, like let's say if you take a player from, like if you took a leash, for example, from Team Liquid, um, then that that guy is very used to playing in a professional way and has been doing that for a long time, has habituated the, you know a culture that makes sense for that kind of environment and so on. It feels like there's like that elite level of CS that exists and that that would be very, very beneficial um, in Valorant too because... You do need everybody to be on the same page, and it seems like, you, and you do need people to be, to be having a good work ethic. And do do you think that that level of structure and so on is, is starting to come up in this game already, or is it a bit freewheeling at this point, just because the game is so young? You know, where do you see things going? I think that that's what happened, and is is currently happening. It kind of started happening when. A lot of the tier one orgs started signing teams. People started cracking down and stopping. Like, I know for us, when we started playing tournaments at first, it was like we didn't put too much like thought into strategy or practice regimen or anything. We were just like, let's play some tournaments. Let's you know, like play together, see how it goes, do as best as we can, play what feels like fun, right? And then as we people started getting signed, we got signed. Hundred Thieves got signed. Liquid has a team in EU. All that stuff. Everyone starts thinking it's more of a, it's way more professional. So like things like uh, you said, how the the top echelon of Counter Strike players have this this regimen and this whole like mindset about them where they're like uh you know like a leash he he knows how he plays he knows how his team works he knows the environment he needs as a player to like succeed and i think that's becoming more prominent in valorant especially in the top scene in the tier one scene but um in tier two i think it's interesting because it's not as much like you see people being more willing and it's already happening in valorant where people are becoming stagnant and not willing to try new things like the viper thing which has been buffed like three times and there's still not that many viper players james is one we did was one in tier two and i think that's cool but 
Yeah, I think it's happening. I think it's slowly shifting toward that dynamic in teams. Yeah, I think Elise would be a god in this game, by the way. I'm scared <laughs> for the day he switches over. He plays casually too, right? He's played a couple tournaments yeah. ringing for people, and he's, he's insane. He's shit on he's us so in the tournament once. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just, I'm a big fan of John, so. Uh, I think that... Um, I, I'm actually kind of underwhelmed with how little development there's been amongst some teams that should be developing. So I don't blame like the smaller teams, amateur teams. A lot of these guys still have, you know, jobs that they work or they're in school or whatever. So I don't blame them for kind of just pugging it out a lot of times in tournaments and stuff. But um, I'm kind of disappointed in like a lot of the EU scene with the way that they've developed and their lack of structure. Uh I've been really impressed with like how Sentinels has has uh, like took a lead and made their game unique, uh, mm-hmm. which was hard for us to adjust to. And then there was like Dignitas threw us for a loop by just playing that one uh, map a lot differently than we had played before, and it it knocked us out of a tournament. So there's so much potential there for people to be creative that. Uh, I'm I'm disappointed in all these Counter-Strike players who came from the world of Astralis and the world of Liquid. And, you know, they're all just not putting the effort in. So to me, it's super exciting, the idea that we can pave a meta and pave a creative, like, route through this game. And people don't want to grab that opportunity. It's insane to me. This is like the first esport I can think of off the top of my head where the NA scene, I feel like, is pretty confidently like infrastructure is better like we have better we have more teams more better practice schedule we have like just more more support system under us than the eu teams do I, off the top of my head i can't think of any other sport that's been like that so we have this opportunity to change the eu dominance thing which yeah. is exciting taylor i think we have a, a lot of people out there that may be listening to this from the business side of things so i've done a lot of consulting and even for Anbox, I was trying to help them put together some players early on to help them find a coaching staff, to find yeah. analysts. It was way harder than I thought it would ever be to track down people willing to make this their full-time position. So for any of the upcoming orgs, because we know players are being signed left and right as old contracts are now expiring, and as new teams see the gold rush, they need to get in before uh, Riot makes any official plans for 2021. So how do you find that staff? How do you find a tailored and get someone to kind of put a team together for you? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's hard. It's uh, who do you trust in the industry? You know, who do you trust and who do you know that knows what they're talking about? Um, I, I said in an interview the other day that there's a quote by, uh, oh God, I don't remember who it was. It's like Vin Scully or someone, some football coach or something, announcer, I don't know, um, who said, like, the guy on top of the mountain didn't fall there, uh, implying that he had to climb his way up and work hard and stuff. But there's a lot of luck involved, too. You know, I think our route here was lucky. And I said in the interview, like, no one talks about how that guy didn't get eaten by a bear on his way up uh, through the woods or whatever. Um, I think luck has a lot to do with it. But um, it's just finding people you trust, I guess, finding people you want to work with that you know will like have the same vision as you, I guess, to use kind of a cliche uh, way of putting it. But 
I don't know. Honestly, it, it's hard. I think uh, a lot of these teams who are coming in are asking me who the potential superstars are, like the who's the Stewie 2K of of this game right now. And it's hard to answer because I don't know how they communicate. A lot of these people have never played on an esports team before. They've never set foot on a stage. And uh, I don't know how they're going to be in the long run. So all I can do is try and refer people who have, you know, the character that I would want to work with or the work ethic, at least. I think that's one of the more interesting and exciting parts of the scene now is that, like, up until this point, people have been looking at Valorant teams as just, like, CS players coming to Valorant. Like, everyone's like, oh, who's they going to pick up? And you start talking about the names dropped or, like, you know, all former Counter-Strike players, people that might be willing to switch over. But as it moves on and it's happening, like, with Anbox, you're going to have to start, and Gen G, you switch to finding people that are Valorant players, not Counter-Strike players, so, like, Sean or, like, um, uh, Boy. You know, people who have who've not had a name in Counter-Strike but, like, started or are going to have their start in Valorant. So... I think people are hesitant to move toward like looking through maybe that rank leaderboard that got tweeted and trying to find like diamonds in the rough. But it's um, hard. We're biased for sure. Yeah, I, I'm biased 100. percent I don't know these people. You know, I don't know Sean, so it'd be hard for me to recommend him to a team that, right. you know, trusts my recommendation. Um, so not yeah, it, it's older brother like Shanks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Right. Well, um, with that said, it's time to move into our Ask Us Anything segment. So this is uh, the part of the show where you, the guys in the chat, get to ask questions of all of the guests. You know, we've got Pocket, Drone, and Tailored. If you have any questions for everybody or for anyone is uh, specific, uh, then shoot, you know, shoot away, and we'll uh, we'll start delivering the questions. And and uh, guys, if you see anything uh, that I'm not bringing up that you want to answer, you know, please feel free to interject. Um, so we'll see. Um, first question i immediately saw from border rocks thoughts on nrg i think that team's really good i think the mix of players especially what's not moving over it can uh, work really well and chat as a coach i have a lot of respect for chat i think he's a great coach i think he's done a lot of good things in counter shake and i think that uh, i'm excited for the if nothing else just the structure he brings as a coach to the valorant scene uh, the way he runs his teams i've worked with him enough to know that um his team won't be bad just chat's team is never bad so uh i think they'll be good it's a I don't know where their ceiling is and I don't know how good they will be, but I definitely think they will be a contender team. Yeah. I think they just need to give them time. Uh, fans need to give them time because they're, they're jumping in head first into all this and uh, energy is a solid org. And I know that they will give them the room and the space that they need to develop a team. And I know that check can develop a team. So um, just give them time. They'll, they'll show you some good results. Definitely a team that we're looking out for, and we enjoy screaming. Three months? Six months? How long do we need? Uh, I don't know. Three, six months. I think that's fair to at least set a goal and show some results. You know, you don't have to win every tournament, but... Yeah. I think three. I'll give them three. I think three is enough. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so just a quick reminder, too. When we're doing the giveaway at the end of this Ask Us Anything segment, it will be a sub-only giveaway for the Dragon Hoodie, just so you guys know. Um, fuck it. Do you see any questions that are particularly juicy? Anything you want you want to go for? I'm gonna give you the pick of the litter here. I want the unfiltered because lots of people in the chat ask, what is the unfiltered thoughts on a hundred thieves? And I'll just start this because I thought the way they started the squad was ridiculous. The fact that they let so many players <laughs> go right away was ridiculous. I thought it was a, a faulty launch 
But now that I see the pieces that are starting to come together, I can totally understand why those decisions were made, assuming they had these contracts lining up. But what are your thoughts on the current 100 Thieves drone to Taylor? I think current 100 Thieves is really good. I love the fact that Nitro came over. Nick is a great Counter-Strike player, and he's a good dude, and I'm happy to have him in the scene with us. Um, Hiko is really good, and they picked up a little out of touch. They, they've announced who they picked up, right, Taylor? Uh... Have they? I don't know. I think uh, so. On their website right now. <laughs> yeah, let me let me we let's go. talk about the roster here. <laughs> so you have Steel. Um, that was yeah. uh, that was a big one. Uh, you got the three super experienced Counter Strike heads. That's yeah. actually a, an interesting point too. Um, even ignoring the additional players they picked up. Yeah, um, they're on they're on the spike. Okay, cool. Yeah, those players. Uh, Austin and Dicey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dicey I, I knew. I knew. I didn't want to say it in case there they didn't talk about it. I was like, uh, but yeah, no. I think that um. It's really cool that they're willing to take a risk on Asuna and Dicey. They're both really talented players. And I think with the combination of those two and the three CS heads, like you said, Steel, Hiko, Nitro, um, they could definitely become like a powerhouse of the game. Uh, and just playing against them has been really interesting and really fun because they bring a new dynamic to the table in terms of how they play the game. But, yeah, uh, it, I I like playing them just for the fun aspect of yeah. it. It feels, uh, it feels a lot more like a meta game playing them than just like... It's like uh, when you play Phase, it feels like you're playing Furia, and you just have to sit there and wait. And they're like, "They're coming! <laughs> like, just wait! Yeah. They're coming, man!" But Hundred Thieves is a lot more like uh, Hundred Thieves and Envy, I would say, are the more like tricky teams to play right now, just because they'll throw fakes and they have defaults. They try to like insert people on their defaults and stuff. Uh, their lurkers are really solid, so. I think they're fun to play. I think 100 Thieves' biggest thing is going to be avoiding this like clash of egos, you know, this clash of big-headedness uh, that they might run into. But Dicey and Asuna both seem like really easy guys to work with, and they're both really talented. And then, I mean, the CS history of the other three is untouchable. Yeah, it's going to be super fun to see how that lineup works and how it's uh, maybe uh, gets iterated upon in the future. Um, so I saw a really fun question actually from Buffy27. Um, if you could build your perfect player with the aim of one pro, the brain of another, and the personality of a third, which three players would you combine? Ooh. Aim, of aim, brain, and personality. Corey's going to go with my aim, brain. Yeah. Steel or nitro. And then personality, I Wardell. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big I mean, personality. I mean, it's people like watching. Yeah, big personality. Big. What is the personality for for Wardell? For anyone who's never watched him. Oh God, uh, Taylor, go ahead. Um, <laughs> my God, I don't know. If you could like make sugar into a person, <laughs> that's pretty much what he's like, twenty four seven. Oh, that's so awesome. He's like a human game fuel. It is so funny, too, because I remember when he was first sort of coming up, I think back when he was playing on Ghost Gaming, I saw him in person and he was so quiet. He was so shy and quiet and withdrawn. And now he's just like gone to the opposite end of the spectrum. It's amazing. It's <laughs> yeah. amazing. I think uh, he's still a pretty reserved person. Uh, and I think it's just because he like he wants to get close to someone before he he really lets go with them. But yeah, I mean, his his stream blowing up has really helped him come out of his shell and show people who he is. So it's good. It's healthy for him, for sure. <laughs> That's cocaine's a hell of a drug. Uh, I'm with you. <laughs> uh, 
I don't think he needs that though. That's all natural. Sugar could be a person. That was perfect. That was pretty amazing. Uh, I got asked, what are your favorite in-game voice lines? And immediately my brain just dropped, and then I went to all of Breach's lines. Do you have a favorite, though, Drone? I know you got a lot of time on Phoenix. You got a lot of time on a, on a lot of agents. Yeah, I think my favorite voice line just in general is going to be a raised one, where it's just so simple, and it just makes me laugh when you'll spawn in the game, and if there's a raised another team, the raised will be like, their raise sucks. And you're just like, okay. <laughs> like that's, that's, just like, that's just a little bit of like, it just makes me laugh. So that one. Yeah. A lot of the voice lines make me laugh. I like uh, whenever Yassine says his, because his game is in French. He put his game in French, so we'll just hear these random French voice lines sometimes. <laughs> like, okay. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, they did a really awesome job with all the voice acting and stuff in this game. It's so different from Counter-Strike, man. It's like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like going from working at Apple to working at Disneyland you know, it's the same amount of money, but uh, one of them is like way more intense with the lore and the colors and it's it's a lot more fun and the engagement. Yes. Speaking of which, um, we had a question from Yes Way Station. Are you guys excited about the possibility of a franchise league for Valorant like Riot has done with League of Legends? I always felt that CS was too saturated with events. So there you go. There's some some of the disney there for you that's a that's a huge yeah. uh identity shift of, of as a as a player from an open circuit free market system to a more closed system what do you think that's like uh it's just a scary word franchising because in counter-strike it was talked about a lot and there were so many back and forth and so much there was like it was the most dividing thing i think i've ever seen in the scene was the franchising was that some people were so against it and some people were so for it and um i don't know I don't watch too many esports outside of like Counter Strike in this game, but I know Overwatch League didn't do so hot when they did the franchising thing. That went kind of south. Um, I don't know if there's been examples of it working well, but I, I think if it's done well and done properly, it could, it'd be great. It'd be a good thing. But the matter is like, will it be done properly and well? And I think if there's going to be a company to do it, Riot would do it well. But um, I think it's scary. I think they're on their way to doing it well. Honestly, with yeah. uh, they've capped community tournament prize pools, but they haven't stifled community tournaments at all. So. Yeah. There's new talent, new teams that have come up. I mean, uh, XCS pros like Drone and myself have found our way in the game. And, I mean, Riot has changed our lives 100%. Um, you know, just with uh, incorporating or uh, including us in conversations as players is, is crazy. And they're building a faithful community behind an actual good game, a competitive game. So that was my biggest worry was that the game wasn't going to be competitive, but I mean, Counter-Strike is like probably the best game ever made competitively. I mean, it was made to be competitive. That was the whole point of the game when they when they created the mod. So um, building a game off of what Counter-Strike has done uh, and then engaging with it in a way that Valve has never done is going to be awesome. And mark my words, I swear there's going to be attempts at TV shows and movies and stuff once a lot more of the lore comes out just because... I mean, Riot has to be thinking in those terms, you know? Yeah, I'd watch a Phoenix sitcom right now. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Phoenix <laughs> sitcom. Quicks left. Um, I, I, I did see a bunch of questions about Vision Strikers, Dan. And uh, mm -hmm. I know that Sideshow has called out a lot of these teams in other regions that are really using utility well in combinations on their execute, something that we didn't see in the early days of North American Valorant. So uh, have you seen a lot of new utility 
options, I guess, tailored, or I guess any set plays that you've picked up from other regions that you've been impressed with, or what are your thoughts, uh, I guess, on just utility use in the scene in general right now? Yeah, we actually have a play called Korean Barbecue uh, that we took from Vision Strikers. <laughs> uh, but Vision Strikers is probably the one team I'm always really excited to watch. I think they're the best team outside of NA, 100%. And I think that um, they're the most dynamic team outside of NA. They seem to be the ones putting the most effort in. Um, they run comps that are almost always similar to what we're coming up with. And okay. I don't think that's from them stealing from us. I think that they're you know putting the effort in to find those comps themselves. So I think that they could easily place you know top three, top four in any tournament uh, in NA, EU, whatever. So big props to them. I like them a lot. Yeah, it's been really cool to see. I, I saw some creativity from Vision Strikers on Bind with Chair. There's just this one play that we looked at a bunch of times, and it just struck me uh, immediately where at the start of the round, you still got that Spectre. You won, the, you won the pistol. You're carrying you know, those Spectres over against the first gun round of your opponents. You're on the defense. And the dash forwards immediately from the barrier on A shorts um, towards showers. And mm -hmm. you have the breach flash on the first corner, and then the breach flash on the second corner, and there's there's a, there's a smoke on the on the right side, and just at, at showers at the beginning of the round, basically. Yeah. And that that was when I saw that, I was like, this is cool because they're they're not just thinking about Jet being an agent that can dash with an operator and get those three kills. They've actually thought a bit further with this, and that was actually really cool. That was one of the first things I saw from them, where I was like, ah, this is they're they're, they're thinking this is cool. Yeah. Yep. And they find a lot of fun. Like one of the things I love to do is go in and break all the maps and just figure out what, you know, funky tech I can do with breach flashes. And, you know, they have breach flashes that you can shoot through the floor and stuff on Haven. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they, they have a lot of fun server work put in to the game. All right. Um... What are you, what are the thoughts on adding agent skins? A question from D slash. Uh, does he mean like agent skins just like cosmetic, or does he mean team agent skin or both? I guess probably both. I think I'm surprised I haven't done it already. Actually, to be honest, I actually kind of wish they would put like um, specific skins for competitive matches, just because like there's certain spots you can stand with certain agents that you're like invisible. Um, so I kind of wish that they would put like, uh, I know they have the outline, like you can put the colorblind outline on yep. and most teams run yellow, but, um, it'd be cool to see agent like outfits skins to differentiate between, uh, defenders and attackers. So team I, would I would love a TSM skin. Yeah. Maybe when they, I mean, if they franchise, I could, that would seem like a logical thing to do. Yeah, yeah, Call 100%. of Duty's making millions off of it. So I think any developer out there is going to just look at that money opportunity. I think just opening up the idea of selling skins, like the way Blizzard has their loot boxes with Overwatch, right? You have a, a thousand somber skins and, and other, I guess, costumes you can put on. I feel like financially, this is a no-brainer from Riot. I'm just wondering when it happens or do they have this super strong stance that we will never change our agent skins because we need everyone to be able to identify instantly and know what abilities are coming at them. Yeah, I don't know if, uh, I don't know. Maybe there's going <clears> to <throat> have to be a differential between casual play and competitive play. Uh, 
to help with that. But, you know, <laughs> money talks, man. So if there's something you can sell, you're going to try and sell it as hard as you can. But I think Riot's done a really good job of, of keeping everything tight, um, keeping everything uh, unique and keeping everything within like exactly as they want it. You know, this is their game. It runs exactly how they want it to run. And we're along for the ride. So, uh, yeah, we would love a franchising opportunity, but we're biased. You know, that's just job security for us. So, Can I ask a question on that? So recently we've seen Henry G at Cloud9 kind of breaking the esports mold and publicly announcing player salaries. We've seen players announced um, basically making upwards of $350,000 a year, if not more. Multi-million dollar, multi-year contracts are out there, and, and it's public knowledge now. I felt like there was a, a point in Counter-Strike, Dan, where we went from people making, what was it, maybe $5,000 a month, $5,500 a month, to all of a sudden $17,000 a month. And I feel like that is something that is great for the players. It's great for the group in the short term. But long-term can do some serious damage if we have inflated player contracts too early in the life uh, span of this title, or they're just going to die off. So what do you feel is an appropriate pro salary at this point? And also salaries, I guess, amongst the rest of the supporting staff, all the coaches, the analysts, everyone that's going into it. How high can we go, Drone? Let's start there. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bit weird because right now the, the range of salaries in Valorant, just because I know is like it's it's massive. It goes from like from numbers lower than what you were talking about earlier, like the five five five. It's from lower than that to like higher than Counter Strike salaries, that which is like so. There's not been a really settled spot. I think uh, for like tier one teams, I don't think there should be a salary like like um, the inflated CS salaries where people were getting upwards of like twenty twenty five thirty thousand dollars a month. They're like what the complexity salaries are, but um, I think. A good in between, like something that's like I don't know, like maybe twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen thousand per team, especially because there's no like solidified like huge brands. Like obviously, someone like uh like Nitro coming from Counter Strike would get more because he's got that crazy brand behind him and he's got that long term experience and he's like one of the bigger names in esports. But like for tier one teams that are just starting, like uh, us or like Gen G or whoever else, I think those numbers are pretty pretty good. Okay. I actually disagree with most people on this topic. I don't think. Uh... I don't think the player salaries are that inflated in CS. I think uh, the orgs are just suffering, you know, what a free market brings to any business. Uh, and it's not that crazy to think that if a if five players are making thirty five grand a month, that's like uh, two million dollars a year or something. That is not that much money for an investor. I mean, I know two million dollars is life changing amounts of money, but it, this is a business, you know, and the players are your product. Um, so it's not that crazy to me to think that you're spending $2 million on the primary part of your brand and those players are bringing in, you know, ad revenue, new sponsorships. Uh, they should be paying for themselves. So I don't think inflated salaries are a thing, honestly. I mean, okay. it spikes in it and it goes down, obviously, and it balances itself out. But I think it's unfair to say that uh, players don't deserve uh, a certain amount of money or whatever. Um, they should be they should be taking what they can get. Oh, I, trust me, as a commentator, I will take as much as I can get. As uh, <laughs> yeah. an organizer, I will take as much as I can get. As a player, I would absolutely. Uh, but I was just kind of wondering for for all the new blood that's coming into this scene, 
you know, what, what are the acceptable standards? I guess what is also like a minimum that you would play a, pay a player? Cause I think $60,000 for me is what I feel is a minimum player salary at the pro level tier one. Yeah. I mean, it demands so much of your time. A lot of these players have to leave their families. Uh, they don't have time for relationships. They have to leave school. Uh, you're asking them to commit their life to a job where, you know, you could go work at McDonald's as a manager and probably make decent money and still have a life on the side. You still have your weekends. You don't have to travel all over the world, which some people see as an opportunity, but it's, you know, it's still a strain. You're, it's your time. So I think that um, in CS, we saw rookie contracts at the tier two level around five or six K a month. And I think I think that's a fair entry level contract right now for players. Uh, I think that's what orgs should be offering up if they're serious about investing in a team, because outside of that, you're just not motivating your players. Honestly, it's like, how much do you really believe in your players if you're not willing to pay them uh, minimum wage and give them benefits, people? Benefit. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, man, you're killing me with the questions, uh, Pocket. I love loving those. Those are some really uh, important points. I think that those are some really deep ones as well that I think we could really expand a lot on. But unfortunately, we've run out of time, I think, for today's show. But we do, of course, have a, a final giveaway, which is, I believe, the Dragon Hoodie, which uh, Tailored is sporting currently, I think. And it's uh, yep. if you want to be as sexy as Tailored, Model just be active in the chat. No. And we're going to drop uh, that giveaway. And this is a sub only giveaway, just uh, to be sure. This is the, the most, uh, the MVP item in the, in the whole lot that TSM were kind enough to give us here today. Um, whilst, we, whilst we are running this one, um, I will just you know, ask you guys, in, in general, in Valorant right now, um, we've got, of course, you know, uh, a very quickly evolving ecosystem. We've got an opportunity to do things different than CS. Is there, is there something that in CS, you feel like became ingrained and just became the way it was because it was always the way it was. Do you feel like we can benefit from some hindsight in Valorant and do things a little bit different? I, I know that you know, Taylor, you already mentioned that right automatically are doing things better in terms of it's it's not a free market system, but it is open. There are there are some TOs that can run some stuff, gives opportunities for players and talent to kind of come up in other means. That's a great change um, to have a bit of both. Um, are there any other things that you really need to see in Valorant that you want to be lessons learned from CS? Uh, I think one of the biggest things we can take away is the saturation of the tournament circuit in Counter-Strike, how players would, you'd see like horror stories of players that don't get to go home for, for absurd amounts of time in a row, playing tournament to tournament, constantly traveling, never getting days off, um, to the point where like there needed to be a, a players union that like demanded breaks from tournaments and even then people were overlapping with each other. So I think learning from that and just making sure people don't, uh, we just don't get tournament after tournament after tournament after tournament for people and to actually like have a have a system in place for that. Yeah, I think uh, my biggest pet peeve with Counter-Strike was that pugging did not, it felt like a different game than Counter-Strike. I, I hated pugging so much because I watched scrims all day and I watched matches all day and it just wasn't the game that I loved, you know? So I think that if Riot can really develop a good leaderboard that rewards um, not just being a duelist or being a fragger or whatever that can actually reward team play, uh, that would be the biggest benefit because you'll see a lot of players come out of the woodwork that would never have made it in Counter-Strike just because they didn't get the opportunity or their their set of skills wasn't rewarded. Um, there's things I look for in teammates that I can't see in a demo. You know, uh, 
um, or that I have to look really hard to see in a demo. So what a player might have a really bad game, but their support play could be insane. And that kind of stuff is hard to pick up on, especially in Counter-Strike, like in the ESEA system, I think Faceit did a good job of uh, trying to reward it better. And and um, you saw a lot of people come up through FPL, but um, I think just a better development system for young talent is important. And that's a, that's a really good point. Maybe we'll see uh, team matchmaking where there's some way to set a roster in the game or something. That'd be really, really cool uh, to see right as something like that in the future. Yeah. Uh, but with, uh, with that said, uh, it's time for the Immortal Minds bot to press the big red button once again. And uh, so who, who do we have as a winner? Oh, okay. Thanks for the gifted stars. We've got five gifted stars from Phil Rudio. Big winner. <laughs> the big, big spender. Oh, Phil. Drone, they missed your streams. <laughs> I know. Phil was, Phil's a viewer of mine, Phil. Phil Rudio. Did they miss it? I'm going to play some sub games after this, actually. So it'll be fun. I love nice. That. Well, that's actually something that I wanted to get into. Actually, you know, what what is uh, what are you all uh, up to, Jerome? You said that you hadn't been streaming very much. Are you actually going to start streaming more consistently, play it by ear, yeah. or do you have a schedule that people can follow? Uh, I don't have a schedule. I I plan on streaming more consistently. I've been pretty inactive because I've been trying to avoid trying to like. So we practice for like what is it, eight hours a day or something, and then. Uh, my sleeping schedule was the point where I'd wake up, I'd do the things I need to do before practice, straight on to practice, play until 11 o'clock at night my time, and then I'd, I would stream from 11 p.m. until like 1 or 2 a.m. And then that would be my entire day, and I was feeling starting to feel some burnout from that. So I wanted to make sure I like didn't push myself too hard, and I wanted to still make sure that I uh, prioritized my competitive play over my, like, my streaming and stuff, because to me that's the most important thing is uh, making sure I play well. And making sure that my team can rely on me during games so uh I, I think i have a solution for that pretty sure i got that figured out so definitely heading on streaming now and uh very quickly i missed the name of the winner is blaze winter shield pvp so congrats to you um but drone is that sounds like striking the balance is always difficult so it's like good to see that you know that's something that you you seem to have on lock there um taylor what are you up to is there anything that you you're doing that people should know about um <clears throat> i mean i stream fairly often uh my gpu died last week so i haven't streamed in about a week uh but as soon as my new computer gets here i'll, I'll start streaming again right now we're, we're pretty much just focused on first strike so that's been like my whole day is get on the computer and get in a valorant server or watch other people play valorant for 13 hours a day so uh it's <laughs> pretty much all i got going on and uh and pocket what are you up to man I know you got loads of stuff going on all the time. Yeah, the busy I, had, man. I had some crazy family stuff going on. I was away from video games for a bit, but uh, love being back. I'm so excited. First Strike's just around the corner. We're going to be able to watch not just NA, but lots of different regions. Um, it's back. I felt like we were in a little bit of a rut. There's a little bit of a lull, but the action is coming back. So I'm excited to just jump on that. I've been playing a ton of games but not streaming because my wife's conference calls get picked up by my new microphone uh, but we're gonna we're gonna try and get <laughs> evening streams out next week on top of the new show i'm doing the gamer hour can awesome. i ask you you guys what it's like as talent coming into a new game like this i mean you guys are more volatile than we are uh because you have like you don't have set contracts i mean you have well you might with riot but i mean is it really cutthroat trying to come into a game like this uh, it's it's hard to predict anything. It's it's like uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show is because I thought Valorant like the game was awesome, and I was like I'd love to do events, but I can never guarantee that I'm going to get hyped for something. So 
if I can just make content and just because I want to keep up with it anyway, it's a really good excuse to stay on top of the game and keep exploring it. And at the same time, like I'm 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 on my own show, so <laughs> I have like a portfolio I'm I'm building. So if someone thinks that what I'm doing is cool, then maybe that'll increase my chances to get picked up. That's kind of how I looked at it going to this game because you can never be sure. It's mm-hmm. it's there's so much great talent, and especially during COVID now as well. There's a lot of talent that are looking for any opportunity as the opportunity because we had the industry was growing. So there's loads of work for talent. So loads more talent came up and made it their profession. Then all the work went away. So it, it yeah. definitely made things difficult, I think. Yeah, I think uh, it's an interesting year and everyone's just got to be looking out for themselves and their families. So for me personally, I'd love to make Valorant a full time situation, but it's not there right now. So uh, I'm staying on top of Call of Duty and Overwatch and all the other games that I really love and enjoy playing. I'd love to be doing more, but as of now, I don't have uh, any dates on the calendar for any upcoming broadcasts at the moment. And I think that's partly a mistake. Um didn't jump in with a a casting duo right away wanted to kind of work around the industry and see who you really flow well with i think that's one of the difficult parts of starting a new game is everyone wants a set duo or set pair right away and they want to lock up the the top names in the brand without giving everyone really a, a chance and um i think that's kind of my goal right now though is figuring out like who do I really enjoy casting with the most? Do I have to pick someone from my same region? Am I able to work across multiple regions? We don't know yet because there's no official word from Riot and the other orgs out there that are putting on these events. So I'm excited about the next six months, but I, I think for me, I'm just going to keep playing the games I love. And honestly, this is the one I've been grinding the most. So Valorant will will always be there for me. I'm excited to watch the competitive side. And, and like I said, I think First Strike is really going to be a new chapter for a lot of people in this esport in particular. Yep, I agree. Yeah, with uh, with that said, thank you everybody for for joining us on today's show. It's been it was it was awesome talking to to you know to all of you. So we've had some great discussions. Um, in terms of what's next for Immortal Minds, we will be going live on Wednesday with our VOD review at 10 a.m. Pacific, as we always do. And by the way, if you're not already following our Twitter and you want to get notification as to when shows are coming or who's going to be on the shows then follow the Twitter account. And also today on the Twitter account at 1 p.m. Pacific, we will be doing a, an announcement, which is a, a pretty big deal for the show. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. And with that said, we will be also uh, hosting Soulcast from Team Liquid as well. So again, you know, thanks guys for joining me. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to all, the, uh, all of you in chat. We'll see you on the next one. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.